Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. If you've been diagnosed with breast cancer before menopause, some of your treatments, including chemotherapy and hormonal therapy, can bring on menopause earlier and more abruptly than expected. Hot flashes and night sweats are common symptoms of menopause, and the hot flashes and night sweats that accompany menopause caused by breast cancer treatment can be more intense and last longer. For some women, these symptoms can be severe and dramatically affect their quality of life. In search of relief, some women consider using hormone replacement therapy, also called HRT, which can help ease hot flashes and night sweats. But because HRT contains hormones, estrogen or a combination of estrogen and progesterone, which can make breast cells grow, it's not recommended for women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Our guest today is Dr. Genevieve Neal Perry the Robert A. Ross Distinguished Professor and Chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Part of her research program focuses on menopause. At the 2022 Annual Meeting of the Endocrine Society, Dr. Neil Perry presented research on fesalinitant, an experimental medicine that doesn't contain hormones to treat hot flashes. The results have exciting possibilities for women with a history of breast cancer, and Dr. Neil Perry joins us to explain the findings. Dr. Neil Perry, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. So to begin, could you tell us how you started studying fesalinitant? What made you think it might be helpful for hot flashes? Yeah, it's actually, um, you know, it, it's a twofold. One um, is as part of my... Um, care, the type of care I provide, which is reproductive endocrinology, I often took care of women with a diagnosis of breast cancer in terms of helping them preserve their fertility, but then I would also see them afterwards uh, regarding their hot flashes and, and how to manage those hot flashes. And so that's kind of my clinical entry point. And then, in, in a, like, I have a lab where most of my research is focused on understanding the biological mechanisms that contribute to how the brain ages and the impact on um, of hormones. And so it really was the convergence of the two that led me to um, the work uh, with Vesalinitant, uh, being involved in some research that helped us understand kind of why hot flashes happened. And our understanding of why hot flashes happened has really only been truly revealed over the last five to ten years. And so it was, what, it was through that work and that foundation that I began to collaborate with uh, with the Stellis and, and looking at this particular drug, Fesalinitin, as something that could actually prevent hot flashes, and that was not hormonal. Okay. So how does Fesalinitin work to ease hot flashes? And if I could just say, if you could explain it in, in terms that we all might understand, and if, if, if there's something I don't understand, you know I'll ask about it. Uh, that's perfectly great. And again, we've <laughs> only recently started to understand how and why hot flashes happen, although we know they've you know, been around for uh, as long <laughs> as we can probably remember. 
So hot flashes, basically, it's what it is, is the sense of overwhelming warmth that causes sweats. And, you know, it may feel it may may also cause you to feel a little bit um, anxious, depending on, you know, who you are. But basically, all of a sudden, you start sweating, you feel hot. And it's not because there's been a change in the temperature of the room. Okay, so this is independent of a change of the temperature in the room. And so what we now understand is that the hot flashes that are associated with menopause are certainly related to the loss of estrogen. And what the loss of estrogen does, it affects certain neurons that are located in a region of the brain that's called the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus um, holds these neurons that are important for reproduction, important for kind of general maintenance of life, as well as um, uh, neurons that are important for regulation of the body's temperature. So these neurons, in the absence of estrogen, become hyperactive. These neurons are called candy neurons, K-N-D-Y neurons. And it, they're called candy neurons because they have these neurotransmitters, which are these chemicals that communicate with other cells, called kispeptin, neurokinin, and dynorphin. And they become really hyperactive, and they're releasing these peptides. And these peptides are stimulating the neurons that are located in the thermoregulatory region of the brain, and they're triggering this sensation that, you know, you should, you should actually, um, your body should respond because it's hot. And so your body responds to what this perceived, like, neurochemical change, and it responds by causing you to sweat and doing things that help cool you down. And so that's what we understand now in terms of the biology that we didn't understand. And fezolimitant is a neurokinin-3 receptor antagonist. So what does that mean? <laughs> that is that a big word. I, talked about, <laughs> I know. The neuron that I talked about, the candy neuron, one of the peptides it releases is neurokinin, okay? And that peptide is the peptide that's stimulating and causing this, these neurons to think that, you know, we're overheated and we need to cool down. And so what this antagonist, and basically an antagonist is like something that blocks the action of, of the drug or, or the chemical, what this antagonist does is it blocks the action of the neurokinin in the brain region that causes the trigger of thermoregulation. The other thing it does is it actually reduces the activity of these, of these candy neurons, so it's twofold. It, it, it reduces the um, activity of the candy neurons, and it reduces the activation of the neurons that are regulating um, your, your body temperature. So fezolinitin is a neurokinin-3 receptor antagonist, and it blocks the candy neurons, and it, it, and it reduces the activation of those neurons that regulate um, heat. Okay, thank you. So I'm going to paraphrase that a little bit, and you tell me if I'm sure. understanding this correctly. So basically, we now understand that hot flashes happen in the brain, in a, in a region of the brain. Right. And fezolinitan works in two ways. In one way, it's sort of calming down these neurons, these molecules that are overactive and, and can trigger hot flashes when they put too much stuff out. And then it also is kind of blocking other molecules from hooking into their receptors and starting a hot flash. 
in a very basic way. Exactly. Am I understanding that right? <laughs> that is a very basic way. So if you're like a hockey player, right? Okay. Um, and you know you have your goalie, and the goalie is kind of blocking those pucks. Mm-hmm. That's what Fezzalinikin is doing. Is is blocking the puck, you know, entering um, a goal um, on the kiss on the candy neuron. So it is blocking, you know, the entry or the activation of of those cells. So could you summarize the results of the Skylight 2 study that you presented at Endo 2022? Because to me, they sounded very exciting. Yeah, they are very exciting. There has been such an unmet need for um, individuals with a diagnosis of breast cancer or hormone-responsive um, cancers, and they're not being able to have a really effective therapy to um, treat hot flashes. And so what Skylight 2 um, demonstrated were a couple of things. It, you know, it's a study that is that was done across several areas, um, United States, Canada, um, and several countries in Europe. And it was what we call a um, placebo-controlled crossover study. There were a couple of doses of the medication, the fezolinitin and the placebo, uh, placebo being no medication, uh, the doses for the fezolinitin being 35 and 45 milligrams. And, and what the primary outcomes of interest were, was the reduction in the number or frequency of hot flashes, a reduction in the intensity of hot flashes, and um, and then also looking at some sleep um, parameters. And, and many um, individuals who experience hot flashes often have sleep disruption. And so a drug that can impact both hot flashes as well as sleep, improved sleep would be, you know, is an amazing um, need for many affected um, individuals. We looked at a couple of time points. We looked at four weeks, 12 weeks of the uh, drug compared to placebo. And, and what we saw was within a week, you actually see a significant reduction in frequency as well as intensity of hot flashes for both doses. And that that reduction continues out to 12 weeks um, as compared to um, placebo. And it is a significant difference. At that point, um, what we did was for the individuals who were on, who were using the placebo, we then randomized them to either 35 or 45 um, milligrams of the fezolinitent, and then we followed people out to 52 weeks of, of treatment. And what we were able to see is that in the individuals who were using the placebo and started the drug, they, they continued to um, have a reduction in their um, hot flashes frequency and intensity to the point that they looked like the individuals who had already been on the drug from the very beginning of the study. And for both groups of individuals, their um, reduction in hot flashes and um, the reduction in severity was sustained throughout the entire um, study, which 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 was great. In addition, um, we did also see some improvement in sleep within the first 12 weeks of, of treatment, and then that improvement in sleep continued throughout the um, 52 weeks. So um, both from the perspective of hot flashes, frequency, and um, severity, we saw improvement with bezalinitin, and we also saw some improvement with sleep, and we'll need to do some additional studies to um, understand a little bit more about the um, benefits for sleep. But very exciting um, data really encouraging to know that women have the opportunity to use a drug that is highly effective with very few side effects. Because that's the other important thing is that there are some other non-hormonal therapies. They're not as effective in that um, 
there may there are some disparities in that, um, in particular the um, the serotonin um, receptor inhibitors, the SSRIs that are used as a alternative therapy for women or individuals with breast cancer doesn't always work as well in women of color, and it has to do with how they metabolize drug. So it is not the ideal drug for um, everyone. With fezolenitant, we had women who were obese, we had women who were women of color, and we were able to see great outcomes in all of the groups. And so that is really exciting. Oh, that is. I'm curious, were any of the women in this study, had they been diagnosed with breast cancer? Did you know that or was that not something you asked? No, no, that was actually an exclusion. Um, you know, this is the first trial. So in the okay. trial, um, you know, in the initial trials, you, you want to have, you know, you, you don't have people who have known um um, other morbidities, so people that were generally um, healthy. We did have some smokers, which you often don't have in the hormone therapy trials, um, and we did have obese women, and obesity is often an exclusion. So those are the two things that were um, a little bit different than what you typically see. We are um, revving up to do some additional studies, and, you know, my focus and goal has always been about how do we help women or individuals with a diagnosis of of breast cancer or hormone responsive treatments that have hot flashes. That's always kind of been at the core of why I've been involved. And so now that we see such great safety profiles in, in, in healthy individuals, you know, we feel that we can now move to other groups who have other morbidities uh, that, you know, who could benefit. And so okay. we're actually revving up to do those studies. Oh, great. That is very exciting. Now, you said there were two different doses of fezolinitin in this study. Did one work better than the other? Or um, I guess, what was the reason for that? The reason for it was there have been some other studies where we use twice um, twice daily dosing, and and looking at the you know the reduction in hot flashes and the severity um, in you know in terms of reduction of frequency and severity, and so it worked with. Um, the two daily dosing, and we had two different doses. And so we wanted to go to one pill a day, right? No one really wants to take two pills a day. And mm -hmm. so we just reduced it to one pill a day with the same dosing that we had um, with the other studies. So to answer your question about whether one um, worked better than the other, they were both highly effective, um, but there may be some advantages um, with the higher dose than with the lower dose. Okay. And you mentioned the safety profile. What about the side effects? You mm -hmm. said you said they were mild. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yes, I can. Um, so keep in mind that, um, you know, the study was done during COVID, you know, oh, right, which, is, right. which was no small task, you know, to get, get this done. So one of the things that we did see, we saw COVID, um, you know, it, but it wasn't different um, when you compare to um, placebo. We also saw some... Um, some headaches, again, a small group of individuals that had headaches. But that was really the most common um, side effect uh, that we saw. It didn't vary across the different groups, meaning placebo was similar to the different treatment arms. Oh, that sounds very exciting, too. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty mild side effect, and the drug was yeah. effective. I want to ask, too, so your study, you had um, women taking it for 12 weeks, you evaluated, and then if anybody was taking a placebo, they could switch over to fezolinitant, and the people who were taking fezolinitant kept taking it. So I, it, in all total, it sounds like the study lasted for a year. Um, so right. I'm wondering, would a woman 
take fesalinitan for as long as she was having hot flashes or just for a year or what, uh, or is that something you still need to study? Yeah, that's a great question. And it is something that we still need to, to study. So if you look at, um, you know, the, if you look at some studies from the study of women across the nation and, and some studies from Australia where they just kind of looked at the timing uh, duration of hot flashes, you know, the average woman will have hot flashes for five to seven years. The, the question is whether they're bothersome. And so, you know, typically when we treat hot flashes is because they're disruptive. They're, you know, people, you know, you're not sleeping, you know, you're breaking out of you know, sweat in the middle of a meeting, and which is just really uncomfortable. It's a really it's very disruptive. So if one would, if one assumes that, you know, the average woman has, you know, hot flashes five to seven years, you may need to, someone may need to use it. Really, the goal would be to use it as long as someone needs to. You know, that would be kind of the message at this point. You, you may have the question of whether if we withdraw the medication, do hot flashes come back? We haven't quite done those studies um, yet, but we do know over time, you know, they, they do go away. And so one would anticipate that the biology isn't any different, um, you know, with or without the use of fesalinitant. Okay. Well, that sounds very promising. And then I guess finally, I'm kind of wondering what, if we could put the results in perspective for women with a history of breast cancer, is the manufacturer going to apply for FDA approval for this use? Does more research need to be done first? Um, and I'm also wondering if fesalinitin is approved for any other conditions. Yeah, so it, it's not approved for any other conditions. Um, Will the so the initial um, the initial approval will be just for women or individuals with hot flashes, um, you know that have bothersome hot flashes. Will you know will Estella's look to um, you know get approval for breast cancer? That is my hope. That is something that I am lobbying for because I feel that there is such a great need. That's why I've been involved with the study. You know just because I know as as a clinical provider, that there really are not many options for um, individuals who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And, and the treatment itself is, it triggers hot flashes, right? And that's not necessarily true with some other treatments. And I mean, it is immediate, right? If you mm -hmm, use right. the anastrozole, you use the Lupron, I mean, it, I mean, you're right. You said at the beginning of the um, of your of your talk um, that you know they could be really severe and they are and they're severe in young individuals right you know my my advocacy and, and you know and my kind of um, personal um, goal is to see this approved for um, individuals with hormone responsive um, cancers as well as individuals who have blood disorders that cause clotting um, because they also can't use um, estrogen. Ah, okay. Okay. So it sounds like then the final message is kind of stay tuned because we need a little bit more yeah. research and we need to wait and see what's going to happen. But still very, very exciting to know that this is out there and the work is being done. Oh, yeah, it is very exciting. And at least from the data so far, you know, there's no, nothing that indicates that it would be a contraindication. You know, the things that we look at with breast cancer, we look at does the, does the you know, does the medication cause anything like bleeding? 
right? Mm -hmm. um, uterine bleeding, um, you know, like tamoxifen is one that's used um, in breast cancer, and we have to monitor for, you know, for risk for endometrial cancer. We mm -hmm. did look at um, endometrium as part of um, of the study, and you know, we don't see an effect on um, on endometrium, which is another important finding, um, and that'll be reported out at um, um, NAMS um, this year. And so, you know, we're, we we have we have a lot of information that tells us and really suggests to us that it will be safe. But obviously, you, you want to do the study, um, and, and that is that you know, and that is the um, you know the plan, and, and that those are the conversations that we're having now. You know, how how do we how do we um, you know what's the next step, and and which groups do we now um, look at to to provide more information around safety? That sounds. Very exciting, and I am going to keep in touch with you because we are going to want to know these results as soon as you're ready to announce them. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This is a pleasure, and, and thank you for your work and, uh, you know, and for your advocacy as well. Thank you for listening to the BreastCancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.